Old Testament reading is from Isaiah chapter 65, verses 1 through 5. I was ready to be sought out by those who did not ask, to be found by those who did not seek me. I said, here I am, here I am, to a nation that did not call on my name. I held out my hands all day long to a rebellious people who walk in a way that is not good, following their own devices. A people who provoke me to my face continually, sacrificing in gardens and offering incense on bricks, who sit inside tombs and spend the night in secret places, who eat swine's flesh with broth of abominable things in their vessels, who say, keep to yourself, do not come near me, for I am too holy for you. These are a smoke in my nostrils, a fire that burns all day long. The New Testament reading comes from the Gospel of John, the 19th chapter, starting at the first verse. Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. And the soldiers wove a crown of thorns and put it on his head, and they dressed him in a purple robe. They kept, they kept coming up to him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and striking him on the face. Pilate went out again and said to them, Look, I am bringing him out to let you know that I find no case against him. So Jesus came out, wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said to them, Here is the man. When the chief priests and the police saw him, they shouted, Crucify him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, take, take him yourselves and crucify him. I find no case against him. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and according to that law, he ought to die, because he has claimed to be the Son of God. Now when Pilate heard this, he was more afraid than ever. He entered his headquarters again and asked Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave no answer. Pilate therefore said to him, Do you refuse to speak to me? Do you not know that I have power to release you and the power to crucify you? Jesus answered him, You would have no power over me unless it had been giving, given you from above. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. From then on, Pilate tried to release him, but the Jews cried out, If you release this man, you are no friend of the emperor. Everyone who claims to be a king sets himself against the emperor. When Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus outside and sat on the judge's bench called the, at a place called the Stone Pavement, or in Hebrew, Hebrew, Gabbatha. Now it was the day of preparation for the Passover, and it was about noon. He said to the Jews, Here is your king. They cried out, Away, away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate asked them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, we have no king but the emperor. Then he handed him over to them to be crucified. This is the word of the Lord. How about that scripture reading, huh? Give them a round of applause, yes. Excellent. 
So I know Lori's mentioned to you that we are going to have our grand opening next week in the Palm Center, so you don't want to miss that. 5.30 next Sunday evening, we'll have a chance to see the new digs and uh, take a tour and, and uh, have a little time of dedication. And um, hopefully you'll be able to see me drain a 28-foot uh, shot from beyond the three-point arch, um, just like they did at Michigan in the Michigan game last night, you know, in the last second. <laughs> Um, yeah, I just, I'll try to, uh, yeah, go blue, right? Go blue, yeah, yeah, baby. Um, but uh, we're also very happy to report to you that our foundation, you may remember last week I uh, put out a challenge for us to consider uh, advancing our payments on our pledges, perhaps paying off our pledges early so that we could delay going to the bank, did all the refinancing thing. And the good news is the foundation has advanced uh, their pledge by two years, and they have uh, paid it off early, another $220,000 to that end. So that's been a great thing. And thank you for those of you who have done that already this week. And uh, for those of you who even haven't had a chance to participate, we'd be glad for you to consider that and participate with us as we look forward to moving into the, the new Palms Center. So. We are taking a look at this issue of uh, when life pushes back, and we've taken a look at a couple of instances in our life when we feel the pushback, when the world sort of pushes back on our lives. And today we're going to take a look at uh, when God gets the pushback. Um, you know, we, uh, show, we see in the, in the great story of God in the Bible that how often the people of God want to push back on God uh, because of a thousand different reasons. So today we're going to take a look at that and wonder about what that might mean. So let us pray. Open our hearts, O Lord, and our minds, and to consider how much you love us, and to wonder what it is within us that might push back on that. We pray that you will allow these words to come to point to the word just read and to the word made flesh in Jesus the Christ. We pray this in his name. Amen. So a guy walks into a bar with his dog. And he takes a seat at the bar, the dog jumps on the stool next to him. He says to the bartender, I'd like a scotch on the rocks and I want a beer here for my dog. And the bartender says, uh, hey buddy, we don't serve dogs here. The guy says, no, you don't understand, this is a special dog, this is a, this is a great dog. And, um, and uh, the dog talks, and the bartender says, the dog doesn't talk. No, he says, the dog talks. He says, give me a minute. And he says, okay. Fido, he says, uh, what's the long, tall grass alongside a fairway on a golf course? And Fido goes, rough. And he says, okay, Fido, he says, what's that big thing that sits on top of a house? And Fido goes, roof. He says, okay, Fido, he says, uh, who's the greatest baseball player of all time? And Fido goes, Ruth. And the bartender looks at the dog. He says, he says that is the lamest thing I've ever seen. This is, this is awful. He says, you know, you, you and the dog out. He grabs the dog and the guy, and he throws him out of the bar. They go rolling out onto the curb of the street. And the dog goes over to the uh, guy, and he says, you think I should have said DiMaggio? <laughs> Now, I confess to you that there is no redeeming value to that story whatsoever. In fact, the only redeeming value to that story is that it might have made some of you laugh. You laughed or chuckled or snickered. 
And according to a growing amount of medical studies, the, those seconds in which some of you laughed repositioned the chemicals in your body a little bit to achieve a, to achieve a little less stress, to set off a certain amount of endorphins, and stimulated some of your life organs even, perhaps. In his book, Anatomy of an Illness, Norman Cousins told the story of when he was diagnosed with a crippling illness and decided what he was going to do is he was going to treat his illness with laughter, so he arranged to have a bunch of Laurel and Hardy and candid camera films shipped into his house, and he watched them over and over again, and he laughed, and he laughed, and he laughed, and eventually he got better. There is something intrinsic within our being, within our reality, that bends toward joy, that bends toward goodness, that bends toward health. Like the three guys who went to the diner and the waitress came up and asked what they wanted, and the first guy said, I want a cup of coffee, but make sure it's hot. Second guy said, I want a cup of coffee, but make sure you put in two sugars. I like two sugars in my coffee. The third guy says, I want a cup of coffee, but make sure it's a clean cup. So the waitress left, came back a couple minutes later and said, okay, now, who gets the clean cup? <laughs> Now, fewer of you laughed at that joke than the first one, so I will stop with the jokes. But what I won't stop with is wondering about what lies behind the veneer of our life and whether or not we are embracing or accepting life for what it was meant to be. Is there something intrinsic within our being, within our reality, that bends toward joy, that bends toward goodness, that bends toward health? Were we created for something that maybe we have yet to claim for ourselves? Because, you know, at the beginning of the whole story, you have this wonderful picture of the creator who appears before there's anything else. In the beginning, it says God created, and we hear about the light that peels through the darkness. We hear about the formation of the deep blue sea. We hear about the sun and the moon and the stars. We hear about the plants and the flowers. We hear about the animals and the fish and the birds of the air. We hear about human beings created in the image of God. There is this incredible kaleidoscope of creation emanating from the palette of God and ends up with Adam and Eve in the garden, the beautiful garden called Eden. And the Genesis writer tells us that God called it also very good. And after finally taking a rest, God decided when the sun was starting to go, to go down and the trees of the garden were filled with a nice cool breeze, that he was going to go and take a walk in the garden. And he wants to take the walk in the garden because that's where Adam and Eve were, of course. That's where his new friends were. And there's nothing God wants more than to be with his new friends. And, and maybe God has a story for them. Maybe he's got a good joke and because God, because he's God, it must be a really good joke, a side-splitting tears-in-your-eyes kind of joke. God really wants to make them laugh, hilariously laugh. Oh, wait until Adam and Eve hear this one, he says to the heavenly host. This will really get them. Something to give them pleasure, something to get those endorphins going. Because there's nothing better for you than to get those endorphins going. So imagine God's surprise as he's making his way through the garden in the cool of the evening, that instead of running across his friends who are running up to him to hear his latest joke, Adam and Eve are huddled behind some bushes and they're hoping that God won't find them, hoping that God will pass by them without seeing them. Imagine God's surprise when he sees these four beady eyes peering out from the Forsythia, and God says, what, what are you doing there? 
And Adam and Eve say, we're afraid. We are afraid of you. Imagine the complete and utter divine shock. We are afraid of you. God gets the big pushback. What's happening? He says, the smell on the roses, what happened to the evening stroll, what happened to the big belly laughs? We are afraid of you. We are anxious. We are ashamed. We are stressed. We are busy. We are worried. We are lonely. Imagine this huge disconnect. But, but, but God says, what about the kaleidoscope? What about the, the palette of colors? What about the cool breeze? What about the juicy oranges? What about the sandhill cranes? What about the making love? What about the punching, the punchlines? What about all those wonderful things? I want to give you this goodness and health and joy and love. And from there, it's just downhill slide things go from bad to worse and there's no more garden there's no more jokes and there's no more laughing and you got Cain and Abel and you got 40 days of rain and you got bondage in Egypt and you got wars and rumors of wars and along the way God says to his children who had long since plowed under his garden and put up a parking lot God says to his children through the words of Isaiah I was ready to be sought out by those who did not ask to be found by those who did not seek me. I said, here I am, here I am, to a people who did not call on my name. I had this really, really, really good joke. But nobody wanted to hear it. And then before all was lost, angels appear, and the heavenly host Sing, and a baby is born in Bethlehem, and God comes back to the garden, and God takes a stroll through the dusty trails of Palestine, and he walks from town to town, and he says, come on, come on, let's play. Everybody gets to play. Come on, I've got some good stories for you. I've got some really good punchlines, and you'll laugh, and you'll love, and you won't worry about what people look like. You won't worry about what people act like, because the whole point is to enjoy life, and you'll be healed, and you will help people, and you will feed people, and you will comfort people, and you will not, not have to be lonely anymore or anxious or distressed or angry or judgmental and what's not to like about that right what's not to like about that well apparently a great deal because we just got through reading about that baby born in Bethlehem the one who grew up to be the good shepherd and the, the grand comedian who is whipped and scorned and pressed upon with a crown of thorns, examined and cross-examined by the powers that be, condemned to death, and they're laughing, but it's not one of those endorphin laughs, it's one of those sinister laughs, evil laughs, and they say to him, we don't want your kind, we don't want what you have to sell, it's not the way the world works, we, don't, we want our, our stress, our condescension, we want our alienation, we want our anxiety, we want our division, we want our segregation, we want our violence. Because that's just the way the world is, we say. And it's not going to change. Don't tell us any more of your corny jokes. Don't try to get us to laugh. Now, it would take about 100 sermons to try to explain how on earth we could get ourselves backed into such a corner where we get so afraid, so anxious, so suspicious of this garden-walking God, this side-splitting, punchline God. But suffice it to say, it hasn't gotten much better since the day when Jesus stood before Pilate. We still live in this crazy, upside-down world where the one who loves us most is the one we hide from. 
The one who, who can't wait to embrace us is the one we flee from. And when someone says religion, we think dry, dusty, irrelevant, boring, downer. When someone says church, we think dry, dusty, irrelevant, boring, downer. When someone says Jesus, we think dry, dusty, judgmental, boring, killer, killjoy, downer. So when C.S. Lewis says that joy is the serious business of heaven, we find that hard to believe. So stressed are we, so anxious are we, so afraid are we, so lonely are we, so sad are we, that somehow we back ourselves into this corner that makes us think that that's just the way the world has to be. But nothing could be further from the truth. Remember when Jesus is having dinner and a woman comes in and she's got this really, really, really expensive jar of perfume and it smells so sweet and so luscious and she decides she's going to pour it on Jesus' head and feet and she's going to wipe it with her hair and it's so beautiful and it is so lovely and it is so joyful and somehow the folks nearby get so stressed, so anxious, so afraid and get so huffy that they say that she has no business being so extravagant. Jesus says, what the heck are you talking about? She's the only one that gets the joke. Life is to be loved. Life is to be enjoyed. Life is this extravagant thing to be seized. And he tells a story about the father who throws the party for the lost son, and the band's going, and the fatted calf is being served, and the wine's pouring, and the folks are dancing the cha-cha slide, and there's this older brother out there stewing, and he's stressed, and he's anxious, and he's angry. He doesn't know what this religion's about this extravagant feast. The father says, come on in, come on in, grab a glass, grab a chicken leg, and did I tell you about the joke of the three lawyers? <laughs> Gerard Manley Hopkins in his poem, as Kingfisher's Catch Fire, includes the line, Christ plays in 10,000 places. Christ plays in 10,000 places. Can you imagine that? Christ plays in the present in whatever circumstance we may find ourselves, and he wishes to play with us. He wishes to give us joy. He wishes to show us the kingfishers catching fire with their kaleidoscope of color, wishes to show us the sandhill cranes walking stately across the field, wishes to show us the two 80-year-olds holding hands, wishes to show us that little child gathering that fistful of daisies, wishing to show us the best friend who's visiting his best friend in the hospital room, wishing to show us the family outdoor for the family picnic, picnic wishes to show us the 75-year-old teaching the 15-year-old long arithmetic, wishes to show us the sandy beach and the pink, pink horizon, just to show us all of what he wants for us. It was the great British apologist G.K. Chesterton who said once, is it possible that God says every morning to the sun, do it again? And every evening to the moon, do it again. It may be, he says, that God makes every daisy separately because he never gets tired of making them. It may be that God has the eternal appetite of infancy, for we are the ones who have sinned and grown old, and our Father is younger than we. Christ plays in 10,000 places. Joy is the serious business of heaven. The Father strolls in the garden's cool evening. And what do we see? 
makes me think of a time years ago when I was paying a pastoral visit to a parishioner, and I went up to the front porch and rang the doorbell when there was no answer. So I rang the doorbell again, no answer. So I decided finally to go around to the backyard to see if I could find her, and I saw Linda, the one who I'd come to visit, and she was in the back of the backyard doing some gardening, and next to Linda was her German shepherd, Duke. <laughs> I had never seen or met Duke before, but when I stepped into the backyard, Duke heard and saw me and started to charge, running right for me. And I thought, oh dear. <laughs> Charging German shepherds are usually not a very good thing. And, and Duke was running fast, fast enough that I did not have the chance to make up my mind to run, scream, cry, or wet my pants. <laughs> oh Lord, I said, please protect me. I suspect that's the prayer I was praying, though I couldn't remember because I was just so afraid. And I saw Duke advance with, with upon me, and within three feet, Duke stopped, jumped, wrapped his legs across my shoulders, and with jaws wide open, began to lick me. <laughs> Duke had come to lick me to death. And actually, he licked me to life, because never have I passed so quickly from fear into joy. It was like a resurrection, passing from fear to joy. As anxious and as fearful and as worrisome and as stressful and as aggravating as we might want to make out this good old life, maybe it is we who have grown old and our father is the one who wants to play. For joy is the serious business of heaven and Christ plays in 10,000 places. And the Lord still strolls in the cool of the evening. And every day, another punchline. Let's pray. We thank you, O oh Lord, that this world gives us a lot to be anxious about, stressful for, real things, important things. And sometimes that can keep us from seeing the Christ who plays in 10,000 places, the God who's eager to give us something to laugh about and to find joy within. So we pray that you will help us to find that grace in that moment where we can push aside all those things that overwhelm us and to claim for ourselves once again your presence, to claim once again your eagerness for us to find the joy within our life and through it to be healed, body, soul, and spirit. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.
It's a place I live in freedom. 